we serve a God of life, don't we? Reminded that with his healing. We're reminded that with births, aren't we? If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 6. We want to finish up on a sermon on a sermon by Jesus from last week, the, what's often called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, and we're looking at the second half of that today. I know it's March Madness, <clears throat> which makes me think of sports. I was thinking, there is, ladies, you may not think this, with the amount of time your husband spends watching some of the stuff, that sports is like a total waste. Well, it's, it's not a total waste. It has, it has some value. And it, it serves as, a, as kind of a helpful reminder of, of how relationships often work in other arenas. Um, you know, when you become part of a team, you're always concerned how your children or how you are going to function with other team members, how you're going to function against the opponents, and how you're going to relate to the coach. And I have to tell you, as I look back over my children's career in sports, all my kids play sports, I have negative examples for every dynamic. I remember my one son, a very, very gifted soccer player, his senior year, um, I wasn't at the game, which is probably better. As a matter of fact, it was better that I wasn't there. And he, he had opened himself up on, to take a shot, and a guy purposely used that opportunity on the other team to come in and smack right into him in his open area and broke his collarbone. His season was over. Yeah, better I wasn't there. And, you know, at some point, somebody should have said, it's only a game, right? Yeah, yeah, they're on the other side, but you shouldn't be against them in that sense. Um, relationship with coaches. I just think back to my high school years. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. We had a new coach at the school I was at, and I was point guard. Um, and um, I really liked him, but I didn't think he was a very good coach. And he probably didn't think I was a very good player either. I don't know. But, but, but I mean, we would have times out there on the field, and I'm thinking to myself now, why somebody didn't talk to me about this? You know, I'd be dribbling the ball down sometime. He'd be, like, yelling at me to do certain things. And so I'm dribbling the ball down. I'm turning. I'm kind of looking back at him saying, I'm trying to coach. We're going to do it better. I mean, we're, like, having, I'm thinking, like, the coach on the other side must have said, this is exactly what I want to see from the opposing team. You know what I mean? I mean, just all kinds of tense relationships. And we, we worked it out through the season. But it was, it was a bit messy and sloppy. My other, one of my other sons was on a team, soccer team. I remember the coach in that particular team totally lost it. I mean, started cursing up one side down the other. The re- I mean, it was just a local little kids game. That was it. Just I mean, so I've seen all these like really negative dynamics, and I've had daughters on teams where um, the relationship between the team members was was really poor. She was on the team one time, and my daughter's good athlete. And for whatever reason, this other girl didn't like her and used every opportunity to attack her. And you know, as a dad, that was really, really, really tough. Because I'm always trying to coach her through that. Now, honey, Jesus has lessons for us here. You know, you know what you do. But inside, I'm thinking like, Ugh. you know, isn't that how you feel? So we know when you watch sports, there's all these kind of dynamics that can go wrong. You know, that's true for us as Christians. Because when Jesus comes to Luke chapter 6, he wants to talk about crucial relationships for his forgiven followers. 
And so where he starts, if, if we're a team, he starts by talking about the fact that we are part of the team and that God has blessed us. We're, we're part of his team. That's where he starts. But then he tells us how to play against the opponents, doesn't he? People on the other side that are, that are against us, like, what do you do to them? And his strategy just totally turns everything on its head because he says, I want you to love them. We're like, what? Like, aren't they the other team? And he gives us a whole strategy for handling that. We, we talked about that last week. So a blessed God calls his blessed people to bless even the opponents. Right? We talked about that last week. What I want to talk about this week is the relationship among team members. What about us? Like, how do we relate to each other? And how do we relate to our coach? In verse 39 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus turns the corner a little bit by introducing a new topic here in the sermon. And he does it by offering us two pithy parables. Just statements that you got to kind of look at to, and take apart because they're, they're, they're really rich. There's a lot of stuff there. But on the surface, you're thinking like, what's he doing? And I'm going to try to explain, I think, what he's doing here in this text because it's not always easy. Verse 39, and he also spoke a parable to them. What did he say? A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? And it kind of calls us to kind of think about that for just a minute. I, um, I have a sister who, after being in a terrible car accident um, back in the 90s, uh, she had frontal lobe damage to her brain, and so she's permanently institutionalized. Uh, she lives up in, in the area not too far from where I live, and so I'm her guardian, so I, I care for her. But for two years, she was blind. And the doctor told us she'd never get her sight back. And we prayed and prayed, and God gave her partial vision back, which was an absolute miracle in itself. But she's got vision about like this. I mean, no peripheral. It's macular. It's, just, it's very, very, very limited. So, you know, when I'm with her, I normally have to hold her arm, you know, because unless she's going like this and really looking around, she's going to trip over stuff, and it can be really, really a mess. Um, but could you imagine... If one day I went over to, to, to help Jody and um, we started walking and she's tripping and falling and finally she says, Doug, what is going on? And I say, oh, Jody, I forgot to tell you, I, I lost my sight. I, then what are you doing trying to lead me around? Right? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense, would it? And Jesus says, you know, when it comes to horizontal relationships, if one person is needy, they're blind, and they need to be led. They need their eyes opened. It's led by another person who is also blind. That's not good. I mean, at every level, that's a problem. And what you need is people that can see helping people to see, right? So Jesus just kind of whips out that, that, that statement. Later in Matthew's gospel, he'll actually use it and apply it to the Pharisees. Here, He's going to end up applying it to us. So he gives this pithy statement. He's going to explain it in just a minute. He just kind of throws it out there. Then he throws out another one. And the second statement isn't so much dealing with our horizontal relationships. It's dealing with our vertical relationship 
with our coach, with our Lord. It says this. A pupil, that's us, that's his followers. A pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And, and what he's saying here is, you know what? I don't care if you're a young child sitting here in the front row. Jesus says, I want to invest in your lives so that you will become like Jesus. Do you know you guys can become like Jesus? Do you know your parents can? Everybody from the front row, all the way back, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says, you know what? I want you to become like me. So find out what I do and do it. And they're the two dynamics he deals with. Kind of just whips them out. Two parables. You know what? Blind can't leave the blind. If a student's going to become like his master, he's going to follow him. When he's fully trained, he will. So horizontal and vertical. Okay, okay. But Jesus, you're a good preacher. So you've got to illustrate this for us. Like, what do you mean? Jesus says, okay. Let's deal first with this vertical thing. The eye problems. Okay. Look at what he says here in verse 41. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, folks, um, I should should look for something like a beam. I don't know. Think of something like a huge two-by-four. I don't know. Got it? Big beam, a beam, these are beams that they would use for, for the roof or for, for sometimes for the ground that they would have in these homes. So can you imagine if I would come in here this morning, honestly, and you would see this huge beam coming out of my eye, right? And I'm, I'm coming up and I see Carmelo up here and I just, <laughs> trying to balance the crazy thing, you know, because it could knock me over. And I notice a splinter in his eye. And, you know, I'm almost knocking people's head off, you know, I'm coming up here. You know, we gotta we gotta deal with that splinter, pal. I mean, don't tell me Jesus doesn't use humor, right? I mean, isn't it an incredible? If it's if it, you would say, Think Finder, you you're nuts, which is probably true anyway. But yes, you'd be right, right? At every level, you'd be right because you would say, Knucklehead, get that thing out. And what the text doesn't say is, take the beam out of your eye. And don't worry about Carmelo. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that either. Look at what it says. So how do you say to your brother, Brother Carmelo, let me take out the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own. Doug, you are a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then go your own way. Oh, no, 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 no. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you ever get a splinter or something in your eye? So much so that you can't see and it creates all kinds of problems, right? Carmelo needs that splinter out of his eye. And I might be able to help him. But not if I got a two-by-four in my eye. Why does Jesus say this? Why can't a hypocrite help a guy with a splinter? You know why? Because my approach to Carmelo 
will be very different if I do it with something in my eye compared with if I do it without something in my eye. What happens if in dealing with the, the, the log in my eye, I come to terms with issues of my heart that show just how far I am from God apart from his grace? And God shows me, you know, Doug, apart from my grace, you are in such great need. And you know what, Doug? I, I am showing you your sinfulness, your selfishness, your, your, the worship of some idol in your heart. And, and all of a sudden, God, God, I find his grace, and, I, and, I, and I'm moved, and I'm thankful. Now what happens when I see the splinter? Do I move toward him like, what is up with you, Carmelo? Like, you know, like, what's up with the speck, man? Right? No, I go to him, I say, you know what God has done for me? He's freed me from this incredible log in my life. Can I, can I help w- with your splinter? I, I mean, I, can I, can I, I just, I help you, I'm gonna help you, brother. It changes my approach to Carmelo, doesn't it? Because I come to him as one who is humble because of a deep sense of his own sinfulness. I think it's really, really important. The opposite of this passage is not doing nothing. We have to be very careful. This text is not saying, Doug, deal with your sin and let Carmelo alone. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Carmelo needs my help. But he needs my help as a brother that loves him, that moves toward him, that says, I'm here to help you anyway I can with that spec. Now, he may say, get out of here, think fine or not, let me near him, whatever, I, I, I can't force it. But he may let me pull it out. He may. And I just want to be available to help him to do that. Do you see how different that is? What happens in the body of Christ? Because in the body of Christ, there's no place for pride. Now, Paul, when he writes on this topic in Galatians 6, is very aware of all this. Remember what he says? If you see your brother overtaken by a fault, what you need to do is go up to him, point your finger at him, and say, you lousy good for... Is that what it says? Or does it say, no, you move toward him and, and you restore him. And the term restore is sometimes used for, for actually healing a broken bone. You move toward him and you say, man, you're broken. Can I help? You tenderly do it. And it goes on to say this. And you do it in such a way that you realize that you could be there too apart from the grace of God. See, that's humility again, isn't it, folks? It is um, very easy. Much I shouldn't have, let me rephrase that. Not, that's not quite true. It is much easier for me to hear, to be, for someone to intervene in my life when they come with that spirit. I mean, when they come with the finger-pointed kind of deal, now, I should still listen. I fully agree with that. I fully agree. I just have to tell you, it's a lot harder. But when somebody comes who says, I've walked the road, I found God's grace, and I just want to help. You may still turn that away, but you've got to admit, that's a whole lot easier to hear from that kind of person. So Paul realizes that. So he says, look, when people are overtaken by a fault, you tenderly, like a bone that's been broken, you try to mend them back. But you dare, don't you do it in a cocky spirit because, you know, when we say, there go I by the grace of God, it's true. 
I know sometimes we just fling it out. But it's true. Whether we realize it or not, it's true. And the more deeply I'm aware of my own sinfulness, the more humble I am as I move toward other people. Do you see? And so he says, Jesus gives this statement, blind people can't help blind people, but how about people who can see? They can then help other people see more clearly in their own faith walk with Christ. I tell you, the heart of the leadership team here at the chapel is that we would live like this. I mean, it's one reason why it's nice for you to be involved in some kind of a small group, in some kind of setting. It doesn't have to be one of the formal ones here in the church, but that you're with other believers in some setting. It can be informally. You set it up. You get together. Why can't three of you just say, we're going to meet together on our own, and if you need help with resources, ask us, we'll give you resources, whatever. Just do it. But you're together as a group, so there's a setting in which people can say, I struggle here, and this is where God has been merciful and gracious to me. How can I help you? And then they can share back, and before you know it, people can open up. It's a crying need in the body of Christ, folks, and everywhere across the country and the world. And I would argue, if we relate like this with one another, God will reveal so much in our lives. So, He talks about humility, and he talks about where this humility comes from as the text develops. Look at what he says, verse 43. For, which is kind of then the grounds or the proof for what he's just said. Verse 43, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, that makes a lot of sense. They don't pick pick grapes from a briar bush. I mean, if you saw me out front coming in and and I was out there saying, what are you doing, Doug? Well, there's this pine tree. I'm just looking for some grapes. You'd say, there he goes again, right? Not case, there he goes again. I mean, Finkbinder, doesn't work that way. Wrong time of year, wrong tree, forget it. Jesus says, you know, we know that because it's, it's a good tree produces good fruit, a Bramble briar bush just doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. We know that when we look around. Here's the application to us. The good man, or we might say the good person, out of the good treasure of their heart brings forth what is good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his, his or her mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. We don't quite have storehouses in our day. But I know there's men in this room that if you invited me over to your house and I asked you for, what is it that you prize and value? Some of you will go over. I mean, we have a guy in, our, in the church back home, man. He had me over. He said, Doug, I got to show you my gun collection. No joke. The guy, I mean, he has, a, he has an arsenal. I mean, I mean, he just has every kind of, he's just like, I, and, and, oh, I got another drawer too, Doug. And he's like, oh, wow, I would not want to break into this guy's house. Um, but I mean, it's all locked. It's special cases. It's, it's be- That's his storehouse, man. Isn't it? He values that. Ladies, maybe it's jewelry. Antiques, I don't know. 
For other guys, it's they're woodworkers. They value, you step into their garage. You step into my garage. My garage is a storage. It's just storage. That's all it is. There's a workbench there, but it doesn't get used very often. You step into other guy's garage. I mean, it is immaculate. I mean, all of their equipment's all over the wall, and everything's ordered and numbered. And man, They just, that's their storehouse. And you say, so what do you like to do on the side? Man, look out, they'll tell you. I mean, they'll just tell you and tell you and tell you and tell you, right? And that's fine. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. I'm not attacking any of that. What is the storehouse of our heart? What do we value? What is it there that drives everything we say and ultimately do? You know what fascinates me in this passage? A good heart is not a perfect heart. It's a repenting heart. It's a very, very important. Because if this text is about me getting this thing out and then ministering to Carmelo, right? That's what he's going to say. He's going to say, Doug, that comes from a good heart. Well, it can't be a perfect heart because, like, I got this in my eye. So it can't be perfect. But it can be a repenting, growing heart. So that when I move toward Carmelo, it's not to use him so that I look better. I mean, we could do all kinds of things with these. No, it's to move toward him because I love him. I really care for him. Because in my heart, if you open up and look at my storeroom, what is it that I value? I value God. And if God is the one I ultimately value, I have nothing to prove to go to him to, to show you that I'm better than him. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. It just has everything to do with how can, God, how can Carmelo see the way God's helping me to see? How can I help him? And folks, when we are consistent in here, it makes a huge difference. Fathers, I, I, I have been with men who um, are very frustrated because their, their young men, their sons, are angry. And in spending some time with them, I find out that they're really, really angry. You know what happens when an angry father tries to tell an angry son to stop being angry? (laughs) Ladies, you know what happens when a woman who demeans her husband tries to talk to her children about respecting their father? It just doesn't work. But what happens to the father who's not perfect? (laughs) He's repenting of his anger Week by week by week because it's something that will just dog him till the day he dies, perhaps, at some level. Okay, fair enough. But he's a man who is being changed slowly, very slowly, with all the problems along the way. He's being changed by God. He's then able to move toward his his teenage son. And the son doesn't look at him as a hypocrite. The son looks at him as a follower of Christ who's a few steps, maybe only a few steps, in front of him walking with Jesus who can help lead him in the way he should go. And so all of a sudden, the boy who before would say, my dad's a hypocrite. Church, Christianity, yeah. Now is saying, that's what Jesus can do in someone's life. I'll listen to dad. And, and, and the woman who says, I mean, honestly, ladies, we as men in the home are lugheads sometimes. I, I admit it. I admit it openly. 
We try to do the right thing, but we, we, we blow it. Don't we, guys? We're trying. We're doing the best we can. And, and, and it is so hard when, if you feel like the woman is constantly putting you down, putting you down. It's very hard. And, and daughters see this or children see this. They follow suit. But what happens with a mother who can pull up beside a daughter and say, you know, honey, um, God has done this in my heart in relationship with your father. He's not a perfect man, but I know he wants to do the right thing. And I'm learning the freedom of what the Bible teaches. All of a sudden, you have a platform to really share and talk, right? So this can happen in the church, in the families. It can happen all over the place, in every relationship imaginable. The point is, as a forgiven follower of Christ, he doesn't want blind people to try to lead blind people. He wants people who take beams out of their eyes to take specks out of the eyes of others. And it comes from an authentic, humble heart. That's all about God. Now, in saying that, I'll go home this afternoon and very easily forget that. And I just taught on it. So we're constantly coming back to God again and again and asking him to tenderize our heart, give us eyes to see that we might help others. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? So he comes and he says, let me talk about all your relationships. This is how you handle enemies. We're going to go, oh man, that's a toughie. This is how you handle your relationship with your brother and sister. You do it out of a humble, authentic heart that's all about moving toward them in grace and mercy together. Yeah, it's all true as you declare the truth to them. Okay, Doug. That's the horizontal stuff. What about this vertical stuff you were talking about? What about this idea, if you're going to be a disciple, you'll become like Jesus only after you're trained and you follow him. You've got to follow him. This is what he says. Look what he says here in verse 46. He asks another question. He introduces verse 41 with a question, verse 46 with a question. Same thing for the second parable. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation upon the rock. And when the flood rose and the torrent burst against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. Doesn't sound terribly smart, does it? And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says, you know, I say some hard things to my people. In this sermon alone, I've said some hard things to you. I've talked to you about doing things that you cannot possibly do on your own. Impossible. Impossible. Only by my grace can you really love enemies. Come on, let's face it. I've talked to you to come and deal with the depth of your own depravity where you're really willing to look at your heart as hard as it is to deal with those logs 
so you can help people with their specs. And it doesn't work to say, I hear you, Jesus, and do nothing. James picks up on this, doesn't he, in James 1? James says, look, don't be a hearer of the word only. Now, is it important to hear? Yeah, I'm, like we're like really glad you're here. Come back next week. <laughs> be with us again and again. We love it. Hear the word. Wonderful stuff. Beautiful. Yes, James says, yes, yes, yes. Hearing the word's important. Jesus, I mean, it, look, the guy at least put a house up, so he, you know, that's something. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, don't call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to obey me. Because in, my, in, in, in my, my kingdom, I have blessed you. I am for you. And I call you to relate differently with outsiders and insiders. And it's not easy. And you have all kinds of excuses. Understandable. But my people, at the end of the day, those that are truly mine, will begin responding back to me. Now, can believers struggle with this? Of course. Well, what does Peter do later in the book? Remember when Jesus pulls them together? After Peter has said, thou art, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Great stuff. And then Jesus says, look guys, I'm going to go die. And Peter pulls him aside and says, uh, uh, not, not, not so, Lord. <laughs> Jesus says, look, this is what, what I'm doing. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. <laughs> What's that? Right? Acts chapter 10, dear Peter. God gives him this vision. Animals come down and the voice says, Peter, eat. Peter says, not so, Lord. I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm kosher. So it doesn't mean we don't struggle with this. We all do. You know what I know? If you're a forgiven follower of Christ, if you truly know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are, I know a couple of things. I know you're not perfect. I know you struggle. I know all that. But you know what I know? I know that you are reoriented by the Spirit of God. And I know God will discipline and work in your life and do whatever he can to, to keep you moving toward Christ-likeness. That's what I know. And I know you may backpedal some. I know that too. We all do. But at the end of the day, and so God's people can struggle with not so, Lord, along the way. Honestly, Peter does it. But at the end of the day, a believer in Jesus Christ is a person that's moving in a different direction. And things are happening, slowly, messy, all true. But they're happening. And what you find at the end of the day is they are building a foundation because it's based on Christ that goes deep. It's not superficial. Are there in every church people who name the name of Christ in whose life God doesn't seem to do anything? Should that person think to themselves, maybe I'm not a forgiven follower of Christ? Yeah, they ought to think about that, actually. A profession, a decision, in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot, folks. A life-orienting, transforming decision changes everything. Slow, messy, hard, all true. but he's my Lord. And I love him. 
Not perfectly. Progressively. And I can't get away from them. And yet I struggle. I, I, every week there's times when I say, not so, Lord. I can't love that person like that. And I don't want to help Carmelo out right now. Let him do it on his own. Sometimes that's how I think. I do, I do. I'm sorry, it's true. God's spirit comes into my heart and says, Doug, I've blessed you. I've given you my spirit. There's more to this life than what you see. Love. By faith. Because of my grace. And it changes everything. And I know if you know Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I had a, a friend of mine who I used to get together with years ago. We, we, we've since drifted apart because of our areas. Um, but, but we used to get together and just kind of share our heart issues with each other, different things, which, which was really helpful. And I remember one of the things we used to all, often say to each other was, you know, I don't want to do that. I know I should. I don't want to do that, but I want to want to do that. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, isn't that the heart of a believer? I don't always want to do it, but I want to want, I want, to, want to do it. That's true. It's true. And Jesus says, I've got a sermon for my people. I've got the 12 dis- disciples now, the apostles, and this large group of disciples. I'm going to talk about leadership and all kinds of other stuff. Keep listening. I'll talk. But I just want to talk real quickly. You know what? In the world in which you live with all of its pressures, you are a blessed people who are called out of a heart of authenticity to love outsiders and insiders. And Jesus says, let me do that in your life. Don't say not, not so, Lord. Say, Lord, I will hear and by your grace through your spirit, I will do. Let's pray.